we've been teaching all the practical things about prayer, we began with the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know where to begin, use those words and let that be your prayer. After all, Jesus taught His disciples and He teaches us today those words, Our Father who art in heaven, some of the best words that you can pray. We learned prayer of examination. Examination, self-examination is an integral part of our spiritual practice. It's not enough for us just to do religious stuff. But along the way, it's necessary for us to pause and examine, wait, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's going on in my soul? Actually, today's talk, we'll talk briefly. It won't be a long sermon, but we'll talk a little bit about this same piece of self-examination. We talked about prayers of meditation, what to say throughout the day as you're living your life. How do you get through the day? What words to use? Um, All of these talks can be found online um, or on our podcast as well. And then we had two weeks where we talked about surrender and repentance. The hardest stuff of our spiritual life is sometimes um, putting the ego um, where it belongs, um, allowing ourselves to come to a place of submission. It's difficult, but necessary. And then Valentine's Day came around, and we learned about praying for our spouses. And I thought that I chased that the following Sunday with praying for our children. The irony is, you know, I was sharing this with somebody today. you know, that week we're praying for our spouses and it's Valentine's Day week and it's like all the irritations in the world would come up or we learned to pray for our children the following week and I felt like all I did was yell at the kids and now today we're going to learn about fasting and I feel like all I wanted to do this week was eat. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today is fasting and prayer. It is something that I do practice not very well. Um, And so hopefully I can lead with my weakness as I share and teach today about fasting and prayer. Because you can't go through a practical prayer series without talking at least once about fasting. And I'm going to talk about fasting today along three brisk headings that you'll find in your bulletin, the three hole-punched notes. Those three brisk headings are three questions. What should we fast? What to fast? Should you fast carbs? Should you fast red meat? What should we fast? The second heading and the second question is how. How should we fast? How do we undertake fasting? How often? How does it look? And the third question is why do it at all? Why should we fast? Why should we fast at all? And so we'll begin with that first heading, what to fast. I won't ask you to raise your hand or ask you how many of you fast, but if you've ever fasted, what have you fasted? Just think back. Fasting is um, something for me, I've, I, I've fasted different things in my life. Um, presently, I try to fast at least breakfast and lunch uh, once, once, once a week, so I, I do fast food. Um, no, I do not do fast food. I, I fast food. I do that too, a little bit too much. That's the problem. Um, and sometimes I'll fast, um, I'll, for a season, I'll fast media. So the point is, it's not necessarily just food per se. John Piper, if you've heard of the author John Piper, once said, the issue is not just food, but it can be anything and everything that can substitute God. Anything and everything that is a substitute for God. And I'll, I'll elaborate that a little bit more. But what is it that uh, serves as a substitute for God? So it's not just food. It can be television. It can be sweets. It can be red meat. It can be screen time. But whatever it is, Here's the application and the fill in the blank. What do we fast? The answer is, what are my innocent delights that numb my spirit? 
we fast for the purposes of getting closer to God. It's self-abstention, self-deprivation. Why? So we can so we can attune our senses closer to the presence of God in our lives, so we can be more keen to the Spirit. Sometimes it gets numbed. Our spirits get numbed. And so the fill-in-the-blank, the, the, the fill what do we fast? It's the innocent delights that we fast. It's the innocent delights that oftentimes we use. And they're not bad things, friends. We're not just talking about bad things. Many times they're good things as well. They are the good things that we turn to very often, that's easy, that's within reach, and we use it, listen to this carefully, we use those things, those good things even, to self-soothe, to self-medicate, almost like a child's pacifier. Now, what are we except large babies, right? (laughs) We're children that have grown just a little bit bigger and taller And in that regard, we all have these urges to pacify, to self-soothe, to self-medicate. And many times, the things that we self-medicate, that we soothe ourselves with, food, excessive food, excessive sleep, or excessive, um, any of, you know, you know, television watching, the things that we binge on are the things that we use to soothe ourselves. Those are the innocent delights to pay attention to. Those are the things that oftentimes turn our souls away from God and towards the the substance itself. I like how Bishop Phillips Brooks, a a preacher from a a couple of hundred years ago, said it well. He said, our souls are stuffed. Our souls are stuffed with small things that there is no room for the great. Our souls are stuffed with small things that there is no longer any room for the great. Friends, how is your soul today? How is your soul today? Is your soul full? Have you grown dull in the sense, I don't know what's going on in my spirit. I don't know why I'm restless. I don't know why I'm cranky. I don't know why I'm irritable. I don't know why I'm distressed. I don't know why I'm discontent. Maybe some self-examination is in order. Maybe some fasting might be a good idea, not to punish yourself and say, get closer to God, get closer, but more so so that we can kind of wean off of those substances that we're so dependent on to entertain us, wean off those things, whatever they are, those innocent delights, so that we can become a little bit more attuned to the Spirit of God. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this point. I read a story this week, it's a very fascinating story that I think drives this home. There's a a book called The Three Edwards. I think we're talking here about English history. And it describes the life of a certain duke, a 14th century duke in England. His name was Reynold. Reynold III. Um, Correction, I guess this is not England. Uh, He was the duke in what what is now known as Belgium. Duke Reynold was uh, also called by the Latin nickname Crassus, which means large or very overweight. And Reynold was, was grossly overweight. He was very fat. And he had a quarrel, as was the case in Europe at that time. Brothers, you had um, quarrels for the throne. And his brother Edward led a successful revolt against Reynard. He captured Reynold, Edward did, but instead of killing him, what he did was he built a room around Reynold. Listen to this. He built a room 
around Reynold in the Newkirk Castle and promised you could, ha- you could regain your title and property so long as you're able to leave this room. It was cruel. Now, this would have been easy, but the thing is, you know, it had windows and doors. They were all normal size. The problem was Reynold's size. He was too large. To regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight. He needed to diet. He needed to fast. But Edward, he knew his older brother, and each day, you know what he would do? He would send Reynold delicious, succulent, wonderful foods into his room. And I think about myself. If I was Reynold, and if I was in that room, what would I do? I have these pictures in my mind, like of Sarah Connor in a prison cell doing pull-ups or something, or, you know, some monk that's just going to spend the next 10 years just praying and with my Bible, and I'm going to memorize it. What do we do? What would you do in those moments? Um, what do we do in those moments of when we're confined? What, what do we turn to? What are the easy things to turn to? For Reynold, especially as the dishes kept coming in, for him it was easy to continue to turn to that. It numbed him. What is it that we fast? If you put yourself in Reynolds' shoes and you were in that room, how would you spend your time? For you, what is it that you would turn to readily? Think about it. If I'm trapped in a room, as long as I have video games, I'm fine. Or as long as I have potato chips, I'm fine. Or as long as I have television and Netflix, I can survive, or whatever it is. What are the things that you would turn to in a case like that? That might be, listen to this, that might be the exact thing prescriptively that would be good to fast. That might be the very same thing that would be beneficial to fast. Do you want to know how the story turned out? This is what happened. When Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, he had a ready answer. My brother is not a prisoner. He can leave when he so wills. And isn't that, the, isn't that exactly it, our will? We, we can choose the right thing. It's up to our wills. Reynolds stayed in that room for 10 years. For 10 years, and he wasn't released until after Edward died in battle. And when he was released, you know what happened to Reynolds? He died anyway because he was so unhealthy. He died anyway because of his own appetites. So that's the question. What are your appetites? So, you know, I'm answering a question with a question. What do we fast? Well, what are your strongest appetites for? What do we fast? What are the things that we turn to easily? Those might be the right things for us to fast. The second question is how. Okay, so you're talking about, so, you know, you're, you, Pastor, you're telling me this story. I relate to it. Let's say, for example, my my, my appetite is as long as I'm stuck in a room with, you know, beef jerky, then I can survive. So how should I go about fasting beef jerky then? How to fast is the next question. How to fast, how should we go about fasting beef jerky or whatever it is? And simply the fill in the blank and the answer that I'm going to give is this is the way to fast. Don't just do negative fasting. Don't just fast negatively. Make sure you practice positive fasting as well. Don't just do negative fasting. Make sure you practice positive fasting as well. What I mean by that is it can't just be about what I'm not doing. 
Fasting can't just be about, I'm not doing that. I'm not having for Lent, I'm not having red meat. I'm not having, but all I'm thinking about is red meat. You have to fill that gap with something. You have to fill that space. As one philosopher once said, nature abhors a vacuum. It almost is like you don't, you're, not, you're, you're fasting something and you're, you're damming up a wall, but the waters behind the wall are mounting and growing higher and higher, and it's just going to explode. So abstinence itself is insufficient, and I'm going to preach this a little bit more with the third heading as we talk about Jesus um, and His approach to fasting. Abstinence alone. A lot of religion teaches abstinence, 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 but abstinence alone is insufficient. On the one hand, the theology is called mortification, putting to death our, 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 our self-indulgent appetites. But on the other, the other hand of mortification is vivification. You have to bring to life something else. It's important not just to practice fasting negatively, I'm not doing this, but to replace it with what I am doing. Let me illustrate. For the last several years, I would, um, for, for me, what's most numbing is is um, my intake of entertainment. Um, many of you know that I can quote movies. I enjoy talking about. That's where I. It's like for me sitting by the campfire at night and just staring into. It's entertaining. Um, that's where the old stories come out from. That's where. That's where. That's where you know we're entertained. And. But what I would do for certain periods of time, for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I would fast all media, all sources of media. It's a little extreme. Like I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't watch television, wouldn't watch movies. I wouldn't even look at my phone after work. So I would try to completely just, you know, go dry um, in those areas. And you talk, about, you talk about negative fasting. The first few times I did that, I would walk around the house and just go up to my wife and say, hey, what are you doing? Right? She's like, get away from me. Or like, you know, I'd go, you know, and, and after, uh, after a couple, you know, I'd get irritable. And it, this void is there. I'm no longer, you know, for a season, no longer doing this or that. And as a result, I grow more, more, more tense because the void is not being filled. Now, I find the more I've practiced this, the more I've, I've um, practiced these periods of 30, 60, or 90 days um, of fasting, especially if it's media, I've learned how to fill the void. And instead of being this sour and irritable and grumpy saint, I've learned to fill that time with positive things such as bothering my wife, <laughs> bothering my children. No, I've learned to fill that with positive things like running. It's like more punishment. Family nights, reading. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like I've become kind of boring, right? But you find that life gets enriched a little bit more. What happens is we've learned to feed ourselves very high sucrose, a very high sucrose diet or a high salt diet, such, a, such that when we finally start weaning off the salt and the sugar, we're like, it's not salty enough, it's not sugary enough. That, that's the problem. Our expectations are so high that we don't get to see, we, we fail to see the pleasures of the simple things in life. And so as we begin to bring down our glucose levels, so to speak, we learn to see that little simple things like um, a, fa a family evening or reading are actually quite pleasurable evening activities. How do we fast? My advice, yes, we should, but don't just stop something. Start something as well. Don't just stop something. 
start something as well. The third and last heading is why fast at all? And that's the last question. And this is where I'm going to look at Scripture in Mark chapter 2. Why should we fast? So, Pastor, you've started out talking about what should we fast. So we should fast our innocent delights. It's the things that we consume, that self-medicate, that soothe us, but really become a substitute for God. It numbs my spirit. I can't sense God because I've spent my evenings binge-watching Game of Thrones or something. By the way, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but... You know what I mean, right? So what do I fast? I fast maybe those things that I've, I've been soothing myself with. At this point, it's gotten, me, it's gotten me almost detached from what's going on within. Those are the things to fast. And then secondly, I talked about how to fast. You can't just have a negative void. You've got to fill it with positive things. Third and last, why fast at all? Why should we do it now? So if you look at Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. Mark 2, 18, the Pharisees approach Jesus and they say, why is it that your disciples don't fast? Why, Jesus, are your, fa- are your disciples not fasting? And understand the context for this. The previous 18 verses, I believe, based on my study of Mark chapter 2, the context of this is a party. I think there's a big party going on at the tax collector Levi's house. The party started out into the streets, it spilled into his home, and in the context of this party, you're not just talking a a nice little, you know, biscuits and tea gathering. This is a house party. It's raucous. It's the kind of thing that I would call the police on. And so this party at Levi's house is underway, and the Pharisees are coming over, and they're like, what's going on? How come you guys are having so much fun? Shouldn't you, being religious, if you are indeed the Messiah or if you are who you claim to be, why is it that your disciples aren't more spiritual? How come they're not more serious about their faith? They're having a little bit too much fun. Why don't they fast? Shouldn't you be more somber and serious and repentant? And Jesus' answer to this question, why is it that they don't fast, is this. Verse 19. While the bridegroom is with them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. In other words, what he is saying is they're not going to fast right now because this is a wedding. And that's what's beautiful about Mark. It talks about not just a party, but a wedding, the wedding feast. Some of you that have been in church a long time, you're, you're familiar with this wedding imagery that's used throughout Scripture where even the church gets married to Christ Here is a wedding, and yet it's not all the clean folk. It's not all the people who got it together. It's all the house party people. And this wedding is going on at the tax collector's house of all places. And what Jesus says is, if you're at a wedding, do you fast? Now, for those of you that have been bridesmaids or groomsmen's, groomsmen, or, you know, I've, I've, you know, had the pleasure of officiating some weddings do, do we fast during that time? Obviously, no. Why? Because the man of the hour is here. The woman of the hour is here. You celebrate. What Jesus says is fasting is more about the presence than so much about self-deprivation. It's about the presence. So he redefines fasting away from this kind of um, harsh self-discipline towards the presence of the groom determining when we fast and how we should fast. Listen to this. He elaborates. 
But, in verse 20, verse 20, but the days will come when the groom is taken away. Then they will fast. So you see, now we're talking about the presence of the groom and the absence. The presence, the spiritual presence is what we're talking about. And then he changes the subject, it appears. And just hang with me. I know this might sound confusing, but it's going to make sense. In verse 21, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away the new from the old, and a worse tear results. And then in verse 22, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. So obviously he's comparing himself, what he's preaching. This is the new wine. This is the new stuff. It's a wedding after all, right? If it's a wedding, if it's a party, there's wine. And if there's wine, make sure you get the good stuff. Jesus brings the good stuff. He brings the good wine. But what he says is you don't put the good wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins will, will, will burst from the pressure from the expansion. They won't be able to take it. You have to match new wine with new wineskins. What he's talking about, I still think, is fasting. He's talking about religion and how if you're going to present a new perspective on our faith, you have to have a new container. You have to have a new religion. In many ways, the multi-ethnic church, I think, is the new wineskins for our day and age. And what embodies religion more than fasting? Every religion in the world, major religion to some degree, practices fasting or at least some self-deprivation. What Jesus is saying here in this, in this kind of tangent, what he's saying is this, the new wine that I'm bringing needs a new type of religion that can contain it. And the new type of religion, all this sour and serious stuff, it's just not going to fly. We need a new type of religion and even a new type of fasting that makes sense for the new wine that is the gospel. And the new type of fasting, what is it about? It's about the presence, the presence of the groom, and it's about a party. I'm going to wrap up and tell you this. I want to give credit to my place of origin where I grew up. The church, the Korean ethnic church that I grew up in New York was a, a place that shaped me. It formed me. I am forever indebted to the church of my, of my youth. But at about the age of 22, I decided to leave home and I joined an organization called Youth with a Mission. Youth with a Mission uh, was like a bunch of 18-year-olds getting together to have a party in the name of Jesus. We were chaperoned by, it seemed like, 21-year-olds. I remember I grew really close to this one guy. His name was Josh, Josh Carlson from Montana. He must have been 18 I was the senior guy. I was 22. Josh comes along, and we became good friends. And he, he had an illustrative career prior to joining YWAM. He was a groupie with fish, just kicked a, a marijuana habit, had dreadlocks and everything. He looked like a, he looked like a, a, a snowboarder. And it's funny how, like, he and I, we, we, we became good friends, and he would every now and then poke fun at me. He would call me Poindexter. And as I look to those two seasons of my life where I was ultra serious in my upbringing, my faith is about this and surrender and sacrifice and I was committed to the Lord and I was very serious. There was no, no wonder during that season of my life, during three different episodes, I, I suffered from depression. I had severe depression. And then joining YWAM and all of a sudden, what is it about? It's about a party. 
and all these young people getting together, and the faith wasn't just about sour and dour, and I'm so serious, and about a bunch of poindexters meeting together and doing serious religion stuff, but it was about freedom and release. People would dance. They, they, were, they, were, they were having, sometimes it seemed to me, too much fun. Essentially, I think when we approach religion, and especially the subject of fasting, it is not this sour, dour, serious thing. It is something that we take seriously, but at the same time, the party, the party must be, you, you must get the sense of the party in our faith. If our Christian faith does not contain the sense of freedom, of, of the celebration, of the celebratory, then we're misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about here, what he's doing when he's inaugurating a wedding celebration. He's inaugurating the kingdom of God with a party at Levi's house. We're busy calling the police. They're having too much fun over there. So just think about that. I guess the closing word is don't take yourself too seriously. I know I am the captain of that. Why do we fast at all? Because we miss the presence of God in our lives. That's the final fill in the blank. We don't fast because I'm getting serious now. I'm going to be real about my faith. I'm going to get this serious. I'm going to get this down, what we're doing. And we're not punishing ourselves either, understand. We fast simply because the groom, the groom is not present in my life to the point that I'd like to know him. I'm not as close. I want to experience him. I want to have the sense of the party once again. I want to understand the freedom and the lightness of my faith once again. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to understand once again the freedom and the lightness, the sense of Sabbath and celebration. I want this to be restored, but I'm losing sight these days. I'm taking myself too seriously. These days, I am so tightly wound up. I feel it in my body. I fast not to punish myself and make myself more tightly wound up. I fast so that I can understand where I need God's touch so that I can get back into the celebration. Really, I do believe. I don't exaggerate. This is the celebration of God. I'd like to close on those words. The celebration you could close your eyes briefly. Are you celebrating today? Do you feel celebratory or do you feel lately that you've been just so wound up and dour, sour, irritable, discontent, restless? Do you feel like your faith has been more about what you've been abstaining rather than more about what you've been celebrating? If you feel like that, then something's, something's a little bit off. If you feel more like it's, it's you know, you're, you're, you've lost the music, then maybe there's something to pay attention to. Maybe there is something to fast. As the music plays, just reflect. God, what is it that I exactly need at this time? What am I missing? What am I hungering for?
And Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with the delight of you. Lord, help us to be a place, a people where celebration is evident in our lives, where the kingdom of God, the wedding feast, that, that the song on our lips, that this is something that we're in touch with. Help us to rest when we're weary. Help us to trust. Help us to have the lightness about us that comes from being true disciples. And so, friends, at this time, take his yoke upon you. Take his yoke. Learn from him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Know this and just be. In Jesus' name.